Hey, you are listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Seven Mile Road. We are a gospel-centered church just north of Boston, Mass. To learn more about who we are and what we are going for together, just go to sevenmilemelrose.com. All right, first thing, one of the things we've been learning in life and in Luke's gospel is that two things can be true at the same time. Sometimes that's not true. Can everybody, anybody give me an example of something that there's two things and they cannot be true at the same time? Anybody have an example? How can you be working and resting? It's either or. All right, we can talk about work that actually brings joy to us, but they're sort of like, hey, am I on today or am I off? I love my extroverted sisters. Anybody else have a two things? They're just never going to be true at the same time. Simon. Say that again. Oh, doing the worm, which is one of his favorite things to do, and also relaxing. They're not the same thing. A square cannot be circled, right? And a circle cannot be squared. You can't have them together. You can't have a dish with mushrooms in it that also tastes good. It just, these two things cannot go together. Uh, Jesus taught us, you cannot love God and hate your brother. You're playing if you're doing that. They don't go together, all right? But sometimes, a lot of times, two things can be true both at the same time. Anybody have any examples of this? All right, see? He's going, you can have a dish with a lot of mushrooms in it. Both are true at the same time. Jesus was fully God and fully man. Whoa, mystery. But both held true. Strawberries are delicious and they're good for you. Both at the same time. They're both true. There is happiness after you. There is happiness because of you. Both of these things can be true. There is happiness. Taylor Swift taught us that. In Luke's gospel, he is communicating to us in these last two stories that these two things are true of the gospel life. One is this, that Christ comes for us. We are dead and hopeless without him, imprisoned by our sin. God's righteous, just wrath is on us because of that. We have no desire in our heart for anything different. We are wandering lost sheep until Christ comes for us. This is what we saw last Sunday. He gets in a boat. He sails to a city nobody wants to go to. He steps on the shore. He goes after this man, and he sets him free. Christ is the good shepherd who leaves the 99 behind and sets out to find the one lost one. Christ moves toward us. I hope everybody in here could raise your hand and say, that's right. I know what it feels like to not be seeking God, to be far from him, and to have him move toward me in love. Christ moves toward us. But this is also true. We move toward Christ. We are not meant to be passive. We are not meant to isolate ourselves away from God. We are not meant to give up on God. What we need, 
Christ has. And we're supposed to go after him with all that we have. One of the greatest promises of scripture is this. If we draw near to God, what? He draws near to us. Have you ever seen those YouTube videos of a dad gets back from service and his daughter didn't know he was coming? And they take on two different flavors. Sometimes they see each other and the daughter just runs and jumps into the arm of the father. And sometimes the daughter just freezes and the dad has to move toward her. Both are true. Both are true. And God's heart for us is that we would know God moves toward us, but we would also, in faith, always never give up hope and keep moving toward him. The question is, never, it is never, will God receive you? That's never the question. The question is, will you pursue God? All right, this story is gonna unpack that for us. Let's pray for ears to hear. Father, give us grace to hear this story for all that it has for us. And I pray that you would actually change our hearts, change our dispositions, change how we live because of these words. You can do it this Christmas season. I know you can. Let it be. Amen. All right, two more things that are true at the same time. Number one, Christmas is merry. Christmas is merry. Get into your head what makes Christmas merry. Boom, 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 boom. I hope there's a bunch of things that you go, yeah, Christmas is a ball. I love Christmas time. Is that true? It is true, okay? Also true, Christmas is often a season of deep sorrow. What is the most intense month of the year for mental health, anxiety, depression, sorrow for people. It's the season of the holidays, right? Because we are reminded it's supposed to be merry, but there's this other reality to life that is anything but merry. And all of that weight hits us in a unique way around this season. If we are going to be an honest church with no pretense that doesn't play we're trying to do that together, right? We have to come to grips with this fact, even in a Christmas sermon. Not everything in life is smooth and easy. Not everything in life goes right. Often, it goes the opposite of right. Sickness and sorrow and suffering attend our lives even if we are totally genuine, legit Christians, belonging to Christ does not give us a pass from real, deep, horrible, awful suffering. Who thinks I played a lot of video games as a kid? Anybody? If you had to guess I did or I didn't, what would you guess? Wrong! I love you, Finn. I was one of those weird kids that was like, eh, too disciplined and focused on school and sports to play video games. Here's the list of video games I have mastered in my life. Ready? Asteroids. I can still feel the tension in my tendon in my thumb because it was a joystick with one button. Dylan, one button. Pitfall. 
and Super Mario Brothers Original. In the Super Mario Brothers Original, if you jumped through the star, do you know what happened? You started blinking and the music changed and nothing could touch you or hurt you. You could go through everything without dying. Is this what it means to be a son or a daughter of God that we hit the star and now we just cruise through life happy and blessed with no sickness, no sorrow, no suffering? Is that the promise of the gospel? It is not. God who could disallow these things allows them. Okay, just this church. We have someone in this church who as a teenager was in a car that got cut off by a crazy driver and rolled six times on the highway. No seatbelts, serious back injury. God allowed that sickness and sorrow and suffering. We have a woman whose uterine wall burst early in her pregnancy and God allowed that suffering to happen. Can you even imagine the fear, the anxiety, the unknown of having that happen while you're carrying your son? We have people in our church who have found out that their husband and or wife has been not faithful to them. And God could have stepped in there and disallowed that, but he allowed it. We have so many illnesses in this church so many cancers and the treatments that go along with the cancers that are horrific. And God could have healed at any moment in that process, but God allowed that suffering. Have you guys met James in the wheelchair who sits up at the front with us? He's a year and a half, totally fine, healthy baby boy. He's got a hernia. So they bring him in to do a simple surgery and the nurses forget to put the oxygen on his face for five minutes. He comes out of this surgery with cerebral palsy, never walks, never uses the left side of his body. Imagine being those parents and being invited into that sickness and sorrow and suffering. We have people in this church who grew up in a cult for years of their life, suffering under that manipulation. And God allowed the years to pile on. Alcoholic fathers, rebellious children, the list goes on, right? We are not exempt from sorrow and suffering. God allows that in this church and in our life. And he is at work in all of it for his glory, for our good, that we might keep pressing through toward him. All right, I bought a book. You probably wouldn't expect I would have bought this one. It's a gospel book that also teaches you how to bake bread, Allison, because I got to stay busy on my sabbatical. And I'm like, I got to learn some new things to do. So I'm going to try making bread probably once, and that will be it. Hear these words with me before we hit the text. She writes this. It is in those horrid times of suffering. And this is not a lady who's walking through the motions, her child suffered with cancer as a young, young boy. That we discovered whether or not we will live by every word that comes from God's mouth. Do we really believe that God is for us in Christ? Can we lean hard into the words of our Savior? 
who calls himself gentle and lowly and beckons us, come to me. Will we go ahead and take up his easy yoke or will we simply stare at it from afar? Will we remember that it is not God's mission to protect us from the very things that are his most potent tool in shaping us into Christ's likeness? It's not his mission to spare us all pain, but rather to ensure that every ounce of it is ripe with good purpose. This is our lives. This is our God. Do you feel her question? That's the question of this text. In our sickness and sorrow and suffering, will we hold back or will we move to what God has for us? Which is it going to be? Let's see in this story which it gets to be. Very simple, just a few verses. The first thing I read to you was, as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. Jesus was a rock star. There was no other shows in town. If he came through your area, you went out to see what was happening. He is surrounded. They are pressing in on him. Luke has only used this word one time before. It's when he talked about the world pressing in on those who have heard the gospel to see whether their faith will be proven. And so when you see this pressing in, you're saying to yourself, somebody's faith is about to be tested. Somebody's faith is gonna either be proved genuine or suspect in this story. There is a pressing in. And then we read these words, they are horrible. That's why I've set this sermon up the way that I have to be faithful to the text. Here's what we read. And there was this woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living, all her money on physicians, she could not be healed. I don't know how to communicate to you the horribleness of this sentence, the depth of the sickness and the sorrow and the suffering that God has allowed in this woman's life. It is the worst, the worst thing. So she is suffering from vaginal bleeding and she has been for 12 years. We're not sure of the cause. We can imagine, right? I don't know if you know what fistula is. It's a, it's a childbirth injury. This is very common where there's not good doctors and emergency care units and a woman will be carrying a baby and then the baby will come early and the delivery will be so strenuous that there will be tears in her body that never heal up. And so for the rest of her life, coming through those tears is feces and blood and there's nothing that she can do to stop it. We don't know how old she was when this came on her. Was it when she began to get her first periods? Was it because of a young childbirth situation? Was it something else? We don't know. All we're told is that this is a serious illness and it has fractured this woman's entire life. This illness has fractured her whole life. Think of all the ways with me. Physically, have you ever had a long-term chronic malady that just won't go away? 
All right, this is so petty that I'm going to give you this example, but I was playing pickup once in Swampscott. My goal is to win a pickup game in all 360 cities and towns in Massachusetts before I die. And they had glass backboards on this court, so I was like, I want to go play there someday. And some fool hit me so hard in the top of the head that he deadened the short muscles on this side of my neck that you use to do this. So then my body started using the long muscle that goes from here to my shoulder, and I pulled it like a guitar string, and I had this chronic pain of this thing not healing for like a year maybe. And if you were like, hey, Cruz, I was like this, I would be like, oh, no! Because I knew for like three days I was going to be in pain until it untensed. I was crying about three days. This woman had this physical malady for 12 years, could not find healing medically. She has shuffled back and forth between doctors. Anybody ever spend a lot of time in hospitals, nurses, ERs? Is there anything more exhausting and worse than that? I was just in the hospital for a day with Julia when she fractured her jaw playing soccer, and it felt like 12 years. It's all this woman has done for years. Are you feeling this yet? How about emotionally? How embarrassing to have this illness and the odor that would attend this illness in the first century just follow you around socially and emotionally. This bleeding would have made her unclean according to Jewish law. We know this. So nobody could have contact with her. She was isolated. I need you to feel this. Imagine living on an island, outcast, shunned. Anybody do quarantine because of COVID? That was what, nine days, eight days, seven days, 10 days, depending what they were saying? Imagine if you got COVID and I told you, hey, you have to live in quarantine until 2023. She has not been intimate with a husband. She has not held a child. She has not gone to a wedding. Are you feeling this yet? The sorrow that God has allowed. Financially, the verse is explicit. She's broke. She's in poverty in addition to everything else. She has spent it all hoping to find some relief. And of course, finally, spiritually, because of her uncleanness, she was excluded from joining the worshiping community, the feasts, the celebrations, life in the synagogue. She was kept out. I know we don't come to church in American culture for any reason, but in this day, that would have been death to be told for 12 years. You can never be with God's people under God's word, not once. Do you feel this? And then Luke says the worst thing at the end. He says, she could not be healed by anyone. Did God know that this was happening to this woman? Yes. Could God have healed her on any one of those days in those 12 years? Yes. He hasn't. He's God. He has allowed this woman to feel the full weight of the brokenness of life. Sometimes he does that. But then verse 44. 
she came up behind Christ in this crowd and she touched the fringe, the hem, the edge of his garment. And on this day, immediately, the discharge of blood ceased. Okay, this is what we call a wicked shaka, right? Totally. Why is this a wicked shaka? Why? Is it because Christ was able to heal her? I mean, yes, but no. If you've been reading this story, you've seen him do this over and over and over again. So that's not what like stops us in our tracks. Is it because she brazenly, boldly broke all the rules and she put her unceremonially unclean body in the middle of a crowd and then she put her unclean hands on clean Jesus's body? Okay, yes, that's a surprise. But the real shocker is what? If you don't feel this, you miss the whole thing. The real shocker is what? That this woman moved toward Christ at all, at all. Who in this room would not be surprised if this sentence said, and after 12 years, she isolated herself from God and any hope for the rest of her life. She was bitter and resigned, just waiting to die. Would you have been surprised to read those words? Because I wouldn't have. The surprise in the story is that she hasn't already given up and given in. It's that she was not only open to the possibility still of being healed, but that she had the faith to go for it. What? It is her moving toward Christ that should stun and surprise and delight us. Whoa. All right, what happens when she does this? She sneaks up on Jesus. Is it because she's sneaky? No, it's because she has to be sneaky. Everybody knows her. This is not funny. They can smell her coming. So she has to sneak through that crowd because anyone that she would brush up against would expose her. She is trying to go unexposed to touch Christ and then shrink back away with her healing. Just the touch of the fabric of Jesus' clothes and she, boom, is healed. Imagine that moment for this woman. <gasps> Imagine that moment where the pain is lifted and the healing comes. But Jesus doesn't let the story stop there. What does Jesus do? He stops the whole entourage and he asks this question, who touched me? Who touched me? Peter talks trash, right? He's like, who touched you? How about 623 people? Jesus says, who touched me? Okay, you have to feel this. Jesus knows exactly what just happened. He knows. Someone has accessed him for their healing with faith. And so he is asking a question that is supposed to create space for that person, this woman, to come forward and confess what has happened. And her mind is racing. What do I do? Have I made him unclean? Will, will he now have to go through the rites of purification? Will I be reprimanded and called out and brought up on charges? 
have I defiled a whole group of people? We know that feeling, right? You sneeze once and you're like, oh my goodness, please don't tell me I have COVID. Now there's 173 close contacts. That's the feeling of this right here. No one can know that I was in this crowd. So what does she do when Jesus asks the question? She says nothing. Neither does anybody else. Does Jesus let it go and move on? No. He sticks with it. Jesus says, somebody touched me. I felt the healing power go out of me. In other words, I'll stand here all day until somebody fesses up. Okay, why is Jesus pressing this? Why? In love for this woman, he is determined to heal her all the way down, all the way down, all the way down. Her cure came privately, right, from her illness, but her affliction was not a private affliction. Christ wants to restore her whole life, and that can only be done in the presence of her whole community. She needs to be restored head to toe, socially, physically, financially, as well as physically and spiritually. Jesus is gonna heal her all the way down. When the woman saw that she was not hidden, uh-oh, she's exposed. She came trembling in the presence of all the people. Uh, she came trembling and falling down before him, she declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Of course, she is scared. She is scared that Jesus might take offense. She is scared that the crowd might take offense, but she fights through that fear and she tells the truth. And then Jesus says the most beautiful, imaginable word to her. Did you hear what he said to her? He said to her, daughter. Okay, don't miss this word. All the words of scripture are inspired. There's another story that bookends this story. I didn't have time to do it or read it with you today, but basically this is a sandwich story and we're giving you the one in the middle. On the edge of the story, there's a dad fighting for his 12-year-old daughter's life, contending with Jesus. You gotta heal her, you gotta heal her, you gotta heal her. And then in this story, this woman has no father contending for her, no dad who has come to Jesus to say, you have to heal my daughter. In fact, she has no family at all. She is outside of her immediate family and the spiritual family of God. She is alone. She has been discarded because of this illness but not anymore. What word does Jesus use to address her? He could have said woman, but instead he says what? Daughter. I know that you have just spent 12 years outside of the family of God. Welcome back. Christ is healing this woman physically, medically, emotionally, socially, spiritually. 
This is always what his does, he does. This is who he is. Daughter, you didn't give up hope. For 12 years, your father in heaven was waiting for this moment that you would show off your faith in him and keep pursuing what he might have for you. This is the day of your healing, head to toe. This is who Christ is. This is what Christ does. All right, very simple application. So first of all, please tell me that you see it in this story. This is our gospel, right? In the biggest sense, Christ Jesus has come to unclean Israel. They are unfit for communion with him. They need to be healed and cleansed. The prophets often use this woman of the uncleanness of a woman during her menstrual period to describe the people of God in their sin. They need healing, and Christ has come to give it. Luke is saying, he's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's come to heal and make clean what was unclean. Receive that. But also receive this question. Are you moving toward Christ? Are we moving toward Christ? So these stories are in our Bible, not with a promise of physical suffering from every physical illness, every pain that we endure and suffer. That's not their big point. Their big point is to point you to this bigger gospel of healing that is available in Christ. And the question is, do you look anything like the woman in this story? Are you still moving toward God in Christ despite the sicknesses and the sorrows and the sufferings that he has allowed to attend your story? Are you still taking hold of his means of grace? Do you just cast off all restraint and all pretense in your going after God and saying, you can heal me, I need you to heal me. You can heal me, I need you to heal me. If we watch the movement of your life, would we say that person is always going after God? They're coming for Jesus. This one was given to you to show you what it looks like for someone to break all the rules and push through the crowd just to touch Christ. Do you look like that? All right, we don't do altar calls like in the life of Seven Mile Road. We can talk about theological reasons why we go, eh. But they do get something right. When you come face to face with your need for Christ, when you come face to face with your deadness without Christ, your uncleanness without Christ, your hopelessness without Christ, when you see it as clearly as this woman saw it, when you get there, there is supposed to be movement in your soul. You are not supposed to get closed and bitter and resign and withdraw. What God holds out for you is the promise. If you will step toward me, I will step toward you. So like if you're not even willing to raise your hand 
and walk down an aisle and be seen by a few people to move to Christ, throwing yourself on the mercies of Christ, then you're not ready to receive the salvation, the healing that Christ wants to give you. To see Christ rightly is to run to Christ. So I'm asking you this question at the biggest level of your life. If we go through the videotape footage of your life and there's never been one time that you have stepped and said, God, I need Christ. Don't get past today without that becoming a reality. Don't get past this month without moving toward Christ. And then, of course, whatever the sickness, the sorrow, the suffering, the injustice, the affliction, the pain that is attending your life, don't ever give up on Christ. Don't ever stop pursuing Christ. It may be 11 more years. That's okay. God's got you. And at some point, he will meet you in your pursuit of him. It's a promise. And when he does, he will heal you all the way down. Do you see the heart of Christ for you in this story?